ahead and turn in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. That will be our text for this evening. And as we get started, I want to express our appreciation to Brother John Iverson Sr. for preaching last Sunday night in lieu of this. We appreciate, what he, uh, we appreciate his willingness to do that and for the lesson he presented um, to the congregation and want to uh, uh, just acknowledge him and his willingness to do that. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Now, one thing that's been interesting about this chapter for me and, and, and I believe for some of the other gentlemen up here is, is we found some of the most difficult statements in the entire book in this chapter. Just not, not difficult in the sense that they're un- understandable, but difficult in the sense that they were a little, um, at first glance, kind of appalling. And tonight we hope to investigate this chapter and unpack some of what's being discussed here by Solomon. We're going to begin by reading verses 1 through, um, through verse 9. We're going to break it up into nine verse segments each time. But let's start the reading, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot... So is the laughter of the fools. This also is vanity. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Now for me, when I read these first nine verses in particular, This sounds like the Solomon of Proverbs to me. Some of these statements just sound like good old-fashioned, wise Proverbs that we're accustomed to, and less like the strange, depressing, um, frustrated man that we hear in Ecclesiastes. But there is some oddity to some of these Proverbs for me, especially here at the outset, the very first thing he says is, a good name is better than precious ointment. And that's such an easy proverb to accept. I think all of us understand what he's talking about here, that he's talking about the importance of of reputation. And we get on board with that statement. Yeah, Solomon, amen, Solomon, a good name is better than fine ointment. Hey, we think you said that somewhere else, like maybe over in Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 1. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. Yeah, Solomon, we can agree with that. And it's kind of like he's setting us up with he's going to just rattle off a bunch of statements that we're all okay with. And then the very next statement is the day of death is better than the day of birth. And it's kind, of, it's kind of like a shock all of a sudden. Wait, wait, we, we, we're good with your first statement. Now where are you going with this? The day of death better than the day of birth? You know, we struggle with that because we are a society that worships youth. We're a society that believes the day of birth is way better than the day of death. 
We're a society that is more focused on youthfulness and, and the culture that's associated with it and being young and being attractive and so on and so forth. And we give less appreciation to being mature and being wise and being learned. And so it's a shock to us when that's what he comes with next. And here in the first couple of verses, he actually makes a lot of references to death. You can see in verse uh, uh, 2, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. It's, it, it, basically, it's better to go to a funeral than it is to a party. And then even in verse 3, sorrow is better than laughter. The idea that, that mourning a loss is better than laughter. What I think Solomon is trying to convey in these passages is that the end of a well-lived life is better than the beginning of an unknown life. The the end of a life that has a secure reputation, the end of a life that that has been lived the way it's supposed to be lived, and and, and that that will have uh, no regrets, is better than a life that's just starting out and has the potential for all those things. I, I think that's kind of the underlying idea of what Solomon's trying to convey when he puts this better than description on the day of death over the day of birth and, and sorrow over laughter and the house of mourning over the house of feasting. And so I think at the outset he does establish a proverb, the one about reputation, about a good name, to help us understand that these other statements he's going to make is just as appropriate as the first. Because the day of death is the day that secures a well-lived life's reputation. And so we, we have these interesting proverbs, and that is my initial observation from this first nine verses about how he utilizes this, this shock that, for us at least, to convey the idea that the end of life is indeed better for one who has lived it correctly. Guys, what do do y'all observe here in these first nine verses? Well, you know, you got to look at verse 12 of chapter 6, where we ended off a couple weeks ago, where he talks about uh, who knows what is good for man in life, all the days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow. So he, he, he's talking about all this, all this vanity, and we've talked about it to death. Uh, all the vanity that he talks about goes through, and all the different vanities that he had witnessed at, in his investigation as he is talking to the assembly of Israel. And he's just listed all these vanity, all these woes, and all the meaningless of human life. Uh, and he's going to follow it up with what really matters in life. And what, is, what we've said is above the sun sometimes in this study when we look at the book of Ecclesiastes. And like Kyle was saying, some of this doesn't necessarily seem like it's what we should be pursuing in life. Some of this doesn't seem like in the first ten verses of this passage what we would automatically go to when we think about life above the sun, when we think about what really matters in life. Uh, He's about to give us a list and go on a tangent that really doesn't sound good to our ears, at least my ears at first. Uh, It's it's good for us to say, yes, it's it's good for uh, the end of life to be celebrated in the life that we don't know what's going to happen. That's a good point to make. But we have to be honest with ourselves and admit that some of this does not sound 
like it's that great. I mean, when was the last time that you would rather go to a funeral than uh, a celebration of some sort? Uh, it's almost like Solomon. Have you ever been to a funeral? It's, it's, I've rarely been to a happy uh, funeral. There's obviously joy that we get in seeing people that are faithful to the Lord get to go and be on with Him. But more times than not, I see sorrow and sadness and tears and, and, and not knowing what to do next and that kind of thing. So what is Solomon trying to say? Why is it better to go to the house of mourning? Why is it better to die than to be born? I mean, I, I've never seen more joy than when someone gets to have their child be born. Uh, I've never experienced that, but I know that that's going to be a joyous day. To have that child that you've been waiting on to be born into this life, it's such a joyous occasion, but why would Solomon say it is better to die than to be born? Why would he continue to say about it's better to have sorrow than laughter, a sad countenance than a happy one? It's better to hear rebuke than to hear you know, great things about yourself. To me and to most of us, surely tonight you are probably thinking, what is he saying? This makes no sense to me. I don't want to be rebuked. I don't want to die. I want to worry about uh, celebration and birth and you know, all these other opposites in this text. But he explains why it is better to do these things or to, to focus on these things when it comes to maybe something we haven't really thought about before. It's, it's better uh, to die than to live because, like Kyle was saying, you get to go on and experience life above the sun. This, this life that he's been examining, investigating throughout the book of Ecclesiastes is full of vanity. So he's saying it's better for us to leave this life under the sun and get to experience the life above it. So that's what he's saying about death. He, he, he's saying it's better to go to the house of mourning. Why? Because it takes wisdom to go to the house of mourning. It takes wisdom to know what to say and, and how you should act and how you should be and how you get through that time. It takes way more wisdom and way more of a person to get through that time than it does for a person to go to a celebration and have a good time. It takes more from us as people to go through times of adversity than to go through times of prosperity. And so he continues, sorrow is better than laughter. Why? Because sorrow produces a better heart, it says. Verse 3, for by a sad countenance the heart is made better. What does it kill you? Make you stronger, right? The, 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 the great adage of the day. When we look at our lives, if we're totally surrounded by laughter and good times and happiness and never tried, never go through any type of suffering or tribulation or any type of hard situation, then how do we ever truly feel gratitude for those moments in which we are happy? and we are in laughter, and we are experiencing joy in our life. It's when we have a sad countenance that our heart is made better. And so Solomon is saying it's better for us to go through hard times than to just simply never, ever go through hard times because that person is lesser than the person who has been through the depths of life under the sun, who has experienced tribulation, who has made it to the other side 
and still finds joy. It's better for us to have sorrow than laughter sometimes. It's better for us to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear uh, the song of fools. You don't always want people just chirping your praises. Sometimes you need people to tell you the truth. To tell you what you really need to hear. And so it's obvious that it's better to hear rebuke than to just simply be carried along by false praise. And then lastly, the end of a thing is better than its beginning. I don't know if you know, we readily agree with that when we first read it. But let me put it this way. If you've been through high school and you've experienced all of that garbage, raise your hand if you are willing to go back to the beginning. If you've just made it, you college kids, you've made it to college and you're experiencing the freedom, you're experiencing, you know, being on your own a little bit and, and, and growing in that way, raise your hand if you're just ready to go right back to freshman year of high school. Yeah, I didn't think so. See some head not shaking. Absolutely not. I'm not signing up to go back to high school. All the temptation, all of the different you know, people that aren't looking out for my best interest when it comes to my spiritual life, I'm not looking back and wanting to go back to that. It's the same with life. You know, I was, we were celebrating Jensie's birthday. She's 25 years old. I'm 25 years old. We had her birthday a couple days ago. My grandfather, who's 82, I believe, he asked her, how old are you? And uh, she said, I'm 25. And he said, ooh, man, I wouldn't do anything to go back to that. And I was just sitting there like, what? I've, you, know, I, you know, surely there would be something he wants to go back and do, but when you've lived a good life, you don't want to go back. You don't want to go back and change things. You're happy with what you've done. And that was a great lesson for me in that one little moment. He didn't mean anything truly significant by that statement, but it was a, lot, it was a game changer. When you've lived your life in a godly manner, you can say that. You can say, no, I have no desire to go back because I've got to experience the joy of life in, in, in God. And so that's what I think he's saying in, in, in this passage thus far in our text tonight. I viewed this um, part as a, as a part of the inclusion, uh, which is in the text. Um, the inclusion starts uh, actually chapter 6, the last verse, uh, which is talking about the, you know, um, uh, it, uh, talking about the fact that it is, it is not possible for, for human beings to know what will come after death. And the idea is found in chap, uh, chapter 7, verse 14, too. So I think the, uh, I view these two things as the bracket. And between the brackets, there are the you know, sayings and verses in chapter 7, verses 1 through uh, 13 and but I will focus on the uh, you know the first section that Kyle suggested chapter uh, 7 verses 1 through 
nine. Uh, as we see in this section, uh, I think the, the author is talking about our, you know, our, uh, our fate after death and what will come to us after our death. For example, uh, the verse one, the good name, and there is a contrast between the good name, a good name and the precious ointment. If we take the precious ointment as the funeral ointment, and the name could be taken as the, the evaluation of the person's life. So what Solomon is saying is that, you know, the life, how you lived, I mean, if you lived a good life or a godly life under the sun, it is much better than the ointment. Even if you are rich, that you can use the best ointment in the world in your funeral, it's, it's nothing. It doesn't do anything good to you uh, because you are dead now. So you are in God's judgment. So what Solomon is suggesting is that how we have lived under the sun is more important than, you know, the, uh, than the ointment, something like that. And also, uh, that idea continues if we uh, see it in that way, uh, in verse 2. So it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. Because as we go to the house of mourning, if we take the house of mourning as the funeral home, then there will be something that challenges us and that teaches us regarding how we have to live in this life under the sun. And that, is, that will give the wisdom and the text says the living will lay it to heart. And verse 3, sorrow is better than laughter. Sorrow in the funeral home is better than the laughter in, the, in any other feast. So sadness of face by the sadness of face, we can get some lesson and our heart will get better. And also, verse 4, the heart of the wise is, the, is in the house of mourning. The house of mourning also could be taken as the, like a funeral home, and we can uh, learn a lesson from there. So, uh, like these examples, I think, uh, Solomon is giving us the idea that what we have to focus on as we are living under the sun is the judgment that is coming after death. So the reputation that we would be given or uh, we would have after death before God, before the judge, is more important than what we or our remaining, fami remaining families will give us, like ointment in our funeral. So that's the wisdom uh, that Solomon is uh, trying to give us, in my view.
the way I kind of see chapter 7, especially this first half of chapter 7, is I think it's important to remember what Solomon is trying to do here and what we're reading in, in this kind of greater context of chapter 7. Solomon is just trying to find purpose and meaning in life, and he is systematically going through everything he can find and saying, okay, is there purpose in this? Is there, is there meaning in that? In, in that? Am I gaining anything from this experience or that experience? And then he's retelling that, okay, I, I, I went as far as you could in, the, in this, in, in this uh, regard or this detail, and, I, and it's meaningless. Van, you know, all of it is vanity. And I think what we're getting at here in chapter 7 is Solomon is seeing some wisdom, He's seeing some purpose, and sometimes the harder, the more difficult situations. He's saying sometimes it is better, the harder route is better than the easier route. And he kicks it off with that, that uh, beautiful statement in verse 1, a good name is better than a good ointment. A good name is hard to come by. Some of us have to fight our whole lives to prove our name and to prove our value or to erase a bad name that we were given or whatever it may be. A good name takes time. It takes hard work. Whereas a good ointment might just take a good bit of money. It might take happening on it. It might just having the right thing at the right time. Being blessed with the means to, to, to have that. But a good name is so much harder to get, but it's worth it. And then from that, the second half of that verse going all the way down to, I believe, verse 6, he's saying the, the more difficult route is sometimes better for us to go. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. Why? Because what we get from that, what we gain from that house of mourning. We, funerals are hard to go to. We've all been to them. We, we've all had to go to one where we really wish we did not have to be at a funeral for a loved one. But maybe because of that, a fresh, a renewed, a rejuvenated view of our life, we've come out looking, we, we've come out looking at our life in a new way. We appreciated the people in our life just a little bit more because of that. When you compare sorrow to laughter, absolutely, I would like my day to start with laughter and end with it. I don't want to have sorrow in my life. I don't want to wake up and, and meet that in, at any moment in my life. But I can't deny there's purpose in it. And I can't deny there's meaning in it. And I can't deny that, there's, that it has a place in my life. And I need it in my life because of what it will teach me and what God can use that in my life. And so I think in, in, his, in Solomon's own way is saying, sometimes it's a lot harder. The, the, the harder path is maybe the one we don't look forward to, the one that we, we wish we didn't have to go through, the one that we, we greatly complain about, but that might be where purpose and meaning can come from, that house of mourning, that time of sorrow. Now, there's not, a, now there's not to say, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 4, there's not a time to laugh. There's not a time to rejoice. There's also meaning and purpose that can come out of this more difficult path. Another interesting thing I found in verse 6, for as the crackling of thorn bushes under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. A couple kind of interesting things about that. It's actually kind of a, uh, a pun in the, the original language there when it comes to the words used for uh, thorn bush and the, and the pot there. And I heard one guy kind of say, okay, if we're going to put this in our language, you can almost say, as uh, nettles under kettles, right? As, as thorns crackling under a pot, they're fast. When you're trying to make a, a fire out in the woods, you might come across some thorns, you could gather them up, you might come away with some cuts, but you can make a fire out of them, but the fire it produces is going to be very quick, it's going to be very flashy, and it's going to be gone. It's not going to do much good. And that's what he's saying here. The laughter of the fool. 
And this too is futility. This too has no meaning at all. And then going back to the very first, and, and I saw my, th- my thoughts on this one. A good name is better than a good ointment. And kind of tying back in with Mingu, your thought, I should have led with this a second ago, and I, and I kind of forgot about it. A good name truly is better than any good ointment that we have. Uh, one author uh, said, A good name is a name that is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and that is better than the sweetest of all ointments. You know, we, have a, we live in a blessed generation that we have a lot of modern-day medicine that can, can make up for a lot of things. But nothing man has come up with can save me from my sins. And that precious ointment, that's from, and that's from God. And that's how I can get that good name. So I, I think that's important to note there, that a good name, at the end of the day, I, I don't care what you think of my name. I want to do right in this world, and I want to live a life where, where, where people can say, you know, I have a good name, and I have a good reputation by all means. But really, a good name, truly, that really settles in God's court. And a good name is defined not by other people's opinion of me, because maybe they can be unfair or unjust at times, but of God's opinion of me. Um, here, uh, from verse 7, I would like to uh, make a point before we go on. Uh, it says, surely oppression uh, uh, drives the wise into madness, and the bribe uh, corrupts the heart. So, this life is dangerous. Under the sun, the life is dangerous because... Uh, the sin is with us. We, we can be tempted and we can be, you know, committing sins. Then we will not have a good reward after death. Uh, we will, you know, we will be subject to the severe judgment. So that's why I think, as Kyle made the point, that's why death is better than the birth and the uh, you know, the, uh, the last of the end of thing is better than its beginning. That's the point where wisdom worth. So we have to have the wisdom so that we can live this life, uh, you know, wisely to get the reward after death. But Solomon is saying that even the wisdom is good, for people under the sun, but it is also human wisdom is vulnerable. I mean, the wisdom, not necessarily human wisdom, but the wisdom we can get is also not perfect. And he will talk about the uh, overly wise person and overly wicked person later. So wisdom is not, uh, even though we think we have the wisdom for this life, but that doesn't make us perfectly safe for the judgment. So that's what we also have to understand, according to, the, to this author, that we should not uh, also wise about the wisdom too. So because the wisdom can be corrupted and you know, oppression uh, makes even the wise person uh, mad. All right, let's turn our attention to, to uh, verses 10 through 19 for this next section that we'll talk about. 
And notice the emphasis placed on wisdom throughout this section. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, an advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. And the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. In my vain life, I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Be not overly righteous, and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand. For the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than ten rulers who are in a city. Ben, would you like to get us started on this section? Yeah, I believe the first part of uh, this section, you know, really in verse 9 and following, he's giving some practical advice, uh, some practical aids for life, and he starts out talking about anger in verse 9, talking about, you know, don't hasten your spirit to be angry, for anger rests in the bosom of fools. Then he says in the following verse, do not say, why were the former days better than these? For you do not inquire wisely concerning this. So I believe he's saying in both of these instances, this is foolishness. If you hasten to anger, that's the foolish move. If you sit around and say, why were the former days better than these? That's the foolish mindset. And I think we have to understand that, you know, what good does anger produce in life? What good does it produce for us to talk about how great the old days were? They're not coming back. Uh, We're not able to go back to them. We're not able to just spend a day back uh, 20 years ago when everything was great. We're not able to go back to those times. We're not able to bring that person who's no longer with us back. We're no longer able to experience those good old days. So it's futile. It's foolishness, really, for us to sit around and talk about how good those good old days were. You know, back in Mayberry, when you could just go to everybody's house and no, no doors were locked, wasn't that just the greatest? Well, I mean, you can't go back to them. You can watch the show all you want, but you can't go inside the television and experience for yourself again. It's not going to happen. It's foolishness for us to just sit around and talk about how good the good old days were. That's why he says it. Do not say, why were the former days better than these? For you do not inquire wisely concerning this. This mindset is not one that's trying to make the best of the day that they're in. They're trying to simply just degrade the time that they're in. They find no sense of gratitude for the times that they are living in. And so it's not wise for us to sit around and long for the old days. Instead, we've got to understand, verse 14, that in the day of prosperity, we need to be joyful. In the day of adversity we need to consider that God appointed this time as well. And in our year that we've just had, isn't that just a great verse for us to ponder? Verse 14. In the day of prosperity, we need to be joyful. And in the day of adversity, we need to understand that God is still in control.
control. It's not fair for us to try to find out why. It's not for us to try to find out why these times of adversity have come. Instead, it's just for us. It's time for us to trust in Him regardless of whether we are enduring prosperity or adversity in our life. And he says, when it comes to life under the sun, I don't think there's any advantage when it comes to preserving life. When it comes to the preservation of life, when it comes to you know, making it on into old age, there is no preference, there is no real advantage between those who are righteous and those who are wicked. Because as he said in verse 15, there's a just man who perishes in his righteousness, there's a wicked man who prolongs his life in his wickedness. He's saying there are those who are righteous, but yet they still perish. And there are those who are wicked, but yet they still seem like they'll never perish. That's what Solomon had experienced. Verse 15, I have seen, every, I have seen everything in my days of vanity. This is what he investigated. This is what he saw. You know what this tells me? This tells me that the conversation of why do bad things happen to good people is not a new one. The conversation of why do bad things happen, why do the problem of, the problem of evil, the problem of suffering, this is not a new conversation. We didn't just come up with this in the 20th century and you know, these wise guys figure this out. This hard conversation. No, this, this conversation has been going on since way back in the time of Solomon. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do the just and the righteous seem to perish just so much as the wicked man seems to never perish? You know, throughout the Bible, we see many examples of this. Naboth was a righteous man. We see nothing that he did wrong in his lifetime, but yet at the end of the day, Jezebel and Ahab wanted that vineyard, and they killed him anyway. In 1 Kings chapter 21. You know, we saw that Jonathan was a good man. He was a righteous man. He was not like his father. He had not lost his mind. He was a good man. He was a good friend to David, and yet he lost his life in that battle. We see that Uriah was a good man. He was a righteous man. He was a good husband. He was a good warrior. And yet he still could not preserve his life. Hebrews 11 is filled with individuals who prophesied in the name of God, who did wondrous things in the name of God, but yet at the end in chapter 11, in the last passage of that, he talks about all that they experienced. They were sawn in two. They were naked. They were scorned by the ones that they were speaking to. And so Solomon is trying to tell us that when it comes to preserving our life, whether you are righteous or wicked, when it comes to life under the sun, there is no advantage. Life under the sun, there is no fairness. There is no justice. There is no reasoning as to why some of these things happen sometimes. We just simply have to understand that this is the case because we are living a life under the sun. Solomon had found out there is no justice on earth. There is no real logical reason why the things that he witnessed had happened. There is no real reason why these things were happening. And there is no way that he could possibly change that. He discovered that true judgment, righteousness, avenging, and fairness will always elude us in this life under the sun. And that we'll only get true fairness, 
judgment, righteousness, and avenging in the life to come when God doles all of that out. My question really with this passage though is in verses 16 and 17, it's really a pondering moment as I was going over this. Do not be overly righteous, nor be overly wise. Why should you destroy yourselves? Do not be overly wicked, nor be foolish. Why should you die before your time? You know, the question is, is he saying that we should not pursue righteousness? Is he saying that we shouldn't be a righteous people? Is he also saying that it's okay to be a little bit wicked? He says, don't be overly wicked. Does that mean we can be some wicked? I believe what he's trying to say in this passage is, don't be wise, don't be righteous in your own eyes. He said that in Proverbs 3 and verse 7, don't be wise in your own eyes. Romans 12 and verse 3, Paul says, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. And so what he's saying in verse 16 is saying, don't be overly righteous within your own self and your own mind and how you think about yourself. Don't be overly wise in how you think about yourself because if anyone could attest, it leads to badness. Solomon was as, you know, the most wisest, most wisest is not correct. A wise person wouldn't say most wisest. It's wisest, and you leave it there. Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived next to Jesus. And yet he's saying, don't think of yourself as overly wise. And then the question is, does verse 17, he's saying we could be a little bit wicked? No, he's saying the same thing. Don't think of yourself as being overly wise, overly righteous. And conversely, don't think of yourself as being the worst thing that ever hit the earth, the worst than any scum that ever lived in the face of the planet. Don't think of yourself so low that you don't understand the worth that God gave you. The same way we should not think we are God's greatest gift He ever gave, we should also not think that we're the worst scum from the lowest parts of Sheol. The same way we shouldn't elevate ourselves, we should not denigrate ourselves. I believe that's what he's saying in the passage, and I got more thoughts, but we got to move on. Some other thoughts. I kind of see Solomon saying something like that, but maybe a little different way of looking at it too, in the sense that to me it seems like. Solomon is preaching a message of balance in verse 16 and 17. Don't, you know, don't be excessively this, don't be excessively that. Verse 15 really hits at home. Uh, why I think he's preaching that message of balance. I have seen everything during my lifetime of futility, of meaninglessness. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his wickedness. If you want to find success in this life, if you are concerned with finding a comfortable life under the sun, then this is your recipe. If you want to live out the rest of your days in a comfortable home, in a comfortable kind of Christian home that you've built for yourself, or you, it's not too, nothing's too difficult, everything's easy for you, then don't be too excessively righteous, because what's that going to lead you to? It's going to push you out, it's going to put you on the outside. Look what happened to other people who were excessively righteous, I think. Think about Christ, who was the most righteous. I think Solomon's preaching a message of balance here in the sense that that's what, it's not going to lead you anywhere that's actually important. If what you're concerned about is life under the sun, then yes, don't be too much this, don't be too much that, because that's both, both of them, excessive righteousness, excessive wickedness is going to lead you to death or turmoil or whatever it may be. But a balanced life, you can find success in that if that's what you're concerned for. But thankfully... 
That's not what Christians are concerned about, life under the sun. I'm not looking for a comfortable life. I'm not looking for success in the eyes of man in this life. I've given my life to Christ. I'm pursuing righteousness with everything I've got. And I'll let, I'll let that trail lead me, lead me wherever it leads me. It gets where my Savior, where it led him at. So I, I, see, I see what you're saying in that too, to where we don't want to see ourselves as too righteous. We don't want to see ourselves as too wicked as well. But I also think it's another way of looking at it too could be the sense that under the sun, above the sun type mentality. If, under, if you're concerned with under the sun, then this is your recipe to a comfortable life. But if you're more concerned with eternal life, this is where you're going to get confused at. I think in verse 18, uh, Solomon gives the, the final answer in this section. It says, it is good that you should take hold of this. I mean, this refers, I think, to uh, the message that he just talked about. I mean, I, I agree what Ben said, and I agree what uh, Jay said. So those things that we have to be righteous, but not overly. Uh, we should not be wicked, but not too much. We, we should not too much, uh, you know, uh, about that. And so it continues that, you know, it is good that you hold, take, uh, you, you should take hold of this uh, wisdom, and from that withhold not your hand. Yeah, as I read this, verse, I mean praise, it didn't make sense. So I looked at the Septuagint, and Septuagint gave me uh, a better understanding. Uh, the word translated into withhold in Septuagint means loosen or unfasten. So according to the Septuagint, it says, uh, from that wisdom, you don't, I mean, you should not lose it or unfasten it from your hand. So what Solomon is saying that this is the wisdom that you have to take hold of and you should not loosen. And what is that wisdom for that it is coming? For the one who fears God shall come out from both of them who are righteous or who are uh, are a bit wicked. So, uh, who fears God can come bo from both of them. So, what Solomon is really uh, saying that the wisdom that we have to have, take hold of, is that we have to fear God. That is the wisdom. So, we should not be overly righteous, uh, seeing righteousness can be from ourselves, or we should not be overly wicked, uh, saying that we can do, we can uh, do anything good. But Solomon is giving the final wisdom that uh, is to fear God. To for the sake of time, let's go ahead and turn our attention to verse. 20 and read through the end of the chapter and make some quick comments on that verse 20 surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins do not take to heart all the things that people say lest you hear your servant cursing you your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others all this i have tested by wisdom 
I said I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? I turned my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. And I find something more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters, who, he who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things, which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all these I have not found. See, this alone I, I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. Guys, any quick thoughts you want to throw out there on this last section? I think uh, the important verse uh, to understand this section is verse 20. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. So uh, even righteous man sins, and there is no one who doesn't commit, who doesn't commit sin. So that's why we constantly uh, stick to the wisdom that the Bible, this scripture is giving to us. We have to fear God. We have to fear what is coming after death. And we have to focus on that and, and manage our life under the sun uh, to get the best thing uh, at that moment. So that's... Uh, so that's, that idea it, uh, can be uh, seen in verse 29 too. See, this alone I found that God made men upright, but they have sought out many schemes. Here, schemes, the original, I mean, not original word maybe, but the Septuagint means reasoning, wisdom. So I think Solomon is still talking that there is some wisdom that doesn't, that doesn't benefit us. But the wisdom, the ultimate ulterior wisdom that we have to stick to is to fear God. I think that is what Solomon is getting at. Well, I believe, you know, it's interesting. Jay was talking about balance. I believe a lot of this is balance. And I said in my notes here that true balance, is true, true wisdom is found in a life lived with balance. And I believe it's interesting, you know, in earlier in this chapter, uh, in verse 5, it's, it's better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of, of fools. And then fast forward uh, to verse 21, it says, Don't take heart to everything people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. So which one is it? Uh, are, are, are we supposed to seek out the uh, rebuking of others so that we can better ourselves rather than to hear the song of fools, verse 5? Or is it, you know, don't listen to what people tell you? I believe, like we were talking about a little bit ago, is that it's the balance. My takeaway from this passage, i got other thoughts, obviously, but the one I wanted to talk about was the fact that we have to find balance in the way that we listen to others. Yes, it's good for us to listen to rebuke, to better ourselves, to put ourselves in a situation to learn from others who have been there and done that, who are looking out for our best interest. Absolutely, it's good. But sometimes, if we listen to the wrong voices, it can lead us down a bad place. When we listen to the wrong voices, we're listening to those who are simply cursing us. 
And if we were to take all of those things to heart, listen, if I were to take everything that's ever been said to me to heart, I mean, I would be in shambles. The, the things that people think is just all right to say, you know, oh, it's just Ben, I'll say it. You know, he's a brick wall, he's got nothing inside, you know, I'll just say whatever it takes. I think it's funny. You know, if you take all of that to heart, where would you be? You know, and I had to learn that lesson. I had to learn that lesson. You know, some people just, they don't know what is coming out of their mouth. And if I were to take all of that to heart, I simply wouldn't be able to go forward in this life. And he also says, listen, there are going to be people who say things about you that they don't really mean. They're mad at you. They're spiteful. And so they're going to make something up. Verse, 20, you know, verse 21 and 22 talks about Many times, verse 22, also your own heart has known that even you have cursed others. Listen, sometimes you know good and well that you've said things to others or about others that you didn't mean. You didn't realize how hurtful it was. And you said it anyway. Maybe you did realize it and you said it anyway. The message is the same way it's not truthful when you say it, it's not truthful when the person who says it about you. So don't take it to heart. If you've ever said something mean about somebody else, you have to realize that other people are going to say mean things about you. Don't take it to heart, but still be a person, verse 5, who's seeking that knowledge of rebuking and learning and bettering oneself. Well, that was a quick comment I had about uh, those two verses, at least. Yeah, I'm kind of right on the same line there. I think my big takeaway from the last ten verses is kind of bookended verse 20 and verse 29. We all have things we're dealing with. We all have temptations. We all have devices. We all have sins. It seems like a trap you can't get out from that you've been dealing with for a long time, or maybe it's not one but a persistent string of them, whatever it may be. No one is perfect at all times. That's what we're striving for, but we're not. So don't be appalled when you're faced with someone else dealing with something that's different than you. Or... Don't be appalled when someone does something that you have already done yourself, like verses 21 and 22 that Ben talked about. Don't take so seriously when, when, some, when someone says an idle word to you that it just absolutely demolishes you, and then you don't care about what you say to somebody else. You can't let these things take you, like, I mean, the whole message Ben just said. But my, my main takeaway from this, verse 20 and 29, is that we all have our temptations, we all have our pitfalls, we all have our failures, maybe not even in the present, but in the past that we've dealt with. And we need to be there for each other. We don't, we don't need to be appalled when we come face to face and the masks are removed and we see what those things are. And I'll say this in closing. Verse 29 stands out to me because Solomon specifically says that God made man upright. That God made us good, going back to Genesis chapter 1. We're the ones who have chosen to go away from the way he created us. That we have faults and failures and flaws and mistakes that are made, not because God made us incorrectly, but because we chose to turn away from him. Tonight we look at Ecclesiastes chapter 7, a chapter that puts a great emphasis on wisdom and on, on um, 
life choices for that matter. And we come to a close tonight. If you yourself look at, look at your own life and examine your own life and realize that there are things that are incorrect about it, you realize that you're not living wisely, or you realize that, that uh, you are not in pursuit of righteousness like you should be, well, then we offer an invitation to you to reach out to one of us as ministers or one of the elders here so that we can assist you. And it may be that you need to make a decision to become a child of God or to ask for the prayers of this congregation. We'd love to assist you in whatever way that we can. With that being said, we'd like to close out this time of study with a word of prayer. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're grateful that we had the opportunity to gather tonight, both in person and virtually, to study your word and to uh, sing praises to you. It is our prayer that any time we assemble, we do so in a manner pleasing to you. As we depart from here tonight, Lord, we ask for your blessings to help us live above the sun, uh, to help us uh, live according to your will and to, uh, to do our best to return to that upright state that you created us with in the first place. We ask for your forgiveness for our failings, and we ask for your strength to endure temptations when they arise. And Lord, we pray that you will help us to make 2021 the best year possible. May we represent you well, and may we make you proud with the decisions that we make, and may we go and do according to your will. Lord, it is through the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, that we ask this prayer. Amen.